can't, that's perfectly fine. But this is one way that we show our, um, our appreciation and our reverence towards God. So this is God's word to us this morning from 1 John, starting in chapter uh, in 3, starting in verse 1. I see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who practices, makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Father, as we listen to these words, and we also listen to the words that we've been singing about your love never fails, never gives up, never can run out. We, we come to a text like this, and there are some very pointed things that you have to say to us, very pointed things that you said through, through your servant long ago to a very particular audience long ago. And now your spirit is going to apply those words to us, but we need for you to be our teacher and our guide. And in the midst of this, Lord, as you, as you potentially cut us and reveal to us maybe things that we would rather keep hidden, we ask that you would also soften us and lead us to the one who is far more beautiful to the one in whom we can find our rest, our hope, our very life and salvation. For we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So we started this section, so we've, we're going through the book of First John, and we started this section, which started in uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, saying that the big idea was we walk in the light as we fellowship with God who is light. He sets the stage for God being light, and we are to wa- walk in the light. So we started looking at several different aspects of what it looks like, what does it look like to walk in the light? And we said it looks like freedom from darkness, fleeing of darkness, preparation in the last hour. That's what we looked at last week. And then this is the end of this little section before we move into the next section. It also looks like living as children. This is where John directs our attention. Walking in the light looks like living as children of God who himself is light. So who are children? 
Um, if, if you're in Christ, we are considered children of God. This is the way John describes it. So what does that look like? What marks children? And we could do an open conversation as far as what are marks of children? What, are, what characterizes children? And there's lots of like, positive things and some things that probably we'd prefer not to acknowledge marks us as children. But I just want to get into this because there's a lot for us to talk about. Talk about characteristics. What are characteristics of children? And we're going to look at it like this. John does many different things in this section, but here are four ways that he talks about what it looks like to be children. Looks like loved, becoming, looks like being distinct, and returning. So we're going to walk through the text and see where these things show up. So verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Being called children shows what kind of love God has, is what John says. He didn't create us as toys for entertainment. He created us as objects of affection. There's a difference between a God who creates to have things. I create things for my entertainment very often. I didn't create a child for my entertainment, right? The child is created for my affection. In some ways, all creation and all humanity in particular were children by origin. But this is kind of different. What John's nailing right here, it's an even greater love. It's more like an adopting love. It's a choosing love. So yeah, you, God, is, God is kind of the, he is the father of all creation, there's something special that he's talking about here. This is more of this adopting, of it, this choosing love. The story of, of the Bible, and honestly, our experience shows that we turn from him as a good father. That's what we did. But then in Jesus, God comes after us. He calls us back as children. This is out of love, and it's for the purpose of loving us. He comes after us because the, his very nature is love, but then he's also coming after us to draw us back so that we can be objects of his affection. This gives us a new belonging. It does, it does a few things. It gives us a belonging and it allows us to be known. At first, it gives us this belonging. It gives us a family. It gives us a home, a place to be. Who of us does not want a place to belong, Right? I mean, don't we all, aren't we all looking for a place to belong? Not just because you're needed, because you contribute to the team. Like, it's really cool to be a part of a team because you're needed, right? That's, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's a good thing. But that's not why you belong in the family. You belong because He loves you. You belong because He wants you. You belong because He desires you. Not because you're, not because you bring something to the table, you actually do bring something to the table, but that's not why you belong. You belong because He desires you. I wonder what difference this would make in our lives, in the franticness of our world, if we were to consciously, like, believe this is true, right? We're so, we're so, we're so fighting for our place to belong if we actually believed and experienced this, if we actually rested in this truth, what would that do? I, I even think about, like, that's not our only problem when it comes to all of our psychological issues, right? 
We were broken people psychologically. That's not our only issue, but imagine if you actually believed you belonged. What would that do to some of our, some of our issues that we face today? So in the belonging, we are also known. Why say this? Well, the backstory to the second part of verse 1, where he says the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. There's, there's a backstory here. Many, if not most people, seem to feel unknown. As I, as I just talk to people, as I watch people, as I examine my own life, we often think um, that we are unknown known to the world that's around us. Certainly, there are some people that are more popular, right? We have famous people in the world that seem like they are more known, but even those, are they really? Like, I don't know what it's like to be famous, but if you were famous, do you really think that the world knows you? I think often they can feel like the most unknown people, right? Because what does it mean to be unknown? It means in some on some spectrum, right, you feel invisible. To, to be unknown, you feel uncared for. Like, would anybody even care if I were gone? I mean, yeah, maybe they'd care for a moment. They would get on with life, right? I think that's that sense of being unknown. Or it's a fake knowing, right? Maybe people see some version of you or me, but do they really know the true deep me, the good and the bad me? And as much as we kind of want that, part of me also doesn't want that, right? Like there's this deep longing to be known, but there's also this, I kind of want you seeing this version of me, which means you don't really know me. What if they did know me? Would they still like me? Would they still want to know the true me? God says, as his child, the world will never really know you. They didn't even know and value him and his son, right? So in a sense, he knows what it's like to be invisible. <laughs> I mean, he's literally invisible. He knows what it's like to be invisible. But he also knows what it's like to be unwanted. God knows what that's like. So, so why talk about this? Because he is very, very different from the world. He's not like the world. He does know you. He knows you. He, he talks about knowing you as, he knows, as the Father knows the Son. He says, I, I know you. Why is this so important? How do we even respond to this? Okay, what's, what's like the practical implication of this? Well, you don't have to look to the world for your knowedness. <laughs> you can put that in the dictionary. Wikipedia is a word now. You don't, you don't have to look to the world for this. You don't have to look to it for, meaning what? You don't have to look to it for approval. You don't actually have to look to it for definition. Not only will it never know you, or honestly, it will never care for you, you can never satisfy its demands, its insatiable appetite, its unattainable law. You will never measure up. You can never satisfy what it's going to ask of you. You, you. you know it. If you've lived longer than five years of life, you're never going to be cool enough, right? Or strong enough, or thin enough, or wealthy enough, or you're never going to be so socially aware enough or compassionate enough. You're, you're just never, you're never going to be enough. And think, think about even like great success stories. 
Like, think about a, a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady, for heaven's sake. He's like at the top of his game right now, right? Or whoever your favorite band is, Nirvana or Taylor Swift or Kendrick Lamar or Kanye West, who apparently now is going by Yee. Did you hear this? Okay. You don't care. Do you know who Kanye West is? doesn't matter. Okay, so regardless of what it is, eventually you will fade, you will age out, or you're going to have to reinvent yourself over and over again. You have to. And at best, maybe you'll be a fainted memory. God says, as my child, I love you. You can have secure belonging and be fully known without fear of rejection at some whim or shift of the cultural tide. Do you guys, so most of you probably grew up around this book. Do you remember the little children's book, I'll Love You Forever? <laughs> did y'all grow up, did anybody grow up with that one? No? Okay, some of you did. So I don't think we grew up reading it to our kids, right? I don't think it was one that was around. And, and the little tagline is, I'm not going to go read it to you because one, it's a little weird. <laughs> if you go and read it, you'll see why it's a little weird, right? But it also is a tearjerker. It pulls, it pulls out the emotions. I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. Katie, you don't remember? She doesn't even remember it. I cried over reading this to you. <laughs> oh, man. As long as he lives, we will belong, and we will be known, and we will be loved, and he lives a really long time. Then he talks about um, becoming, and this is verses 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So as children, like any children, we are growing into something we are becoming. That's the idea. We are becoming. Have you ever seen an ultrasound? So, um, so you guys, Sam, there you go. They're about to have a baby. He doesn't have a baby in his tummy, but his wife does. And so he showed, a, I think he showed us an ultrasound a few weeks ago, the little peanut. But then he also shared with us at, at cohorts this last week the recording of the heartbeat. This like, what, 160 beats a minute or something? something is that right? Is that actually right? Okay, I nailed it. Good. Hundred six. Boom, 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 boom. It's like you hear this. What? What is that? This little peanut. It's a someone who is becoming a someone. It's becoming. Right. As human beings, we are in the process of becoming. As children of God, we are born into another becoming. He, he uses this term of being born again. He talks about this in verse 9. You're, you're born again. There's a, new, there's a newness about you, and you're becoming something. There's some kind of rebirth that takes place in our connection with Jesus. His seed gets in us. His life gets in us, and he remakes us, and he is remaking us. This is, this is something he does and he will bring to completion. Paul puts it this way. So the Apostle Paul, who's another writer in the New Testament, writes the book of Philippians, among many others. He puts it this way. I'm sure of this, he says to his people, his, his friends. I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Living as a child looks like becoming 
If you're a child, you are becoming a creature. You are a growing creature. How does this bring light to us? How is this good news? Have you ever met someone who is fully satisfied with where they are? Have you? There may be people out there, so I don't want to act as if there is no one. But I feel like most people are not fully satisfied with where they are. You want more. When the Braves win the World Series this year, so when Braves win the World Series this year, <laughs> they will, when, when next year starts, are they going to be, oh man, we won it last year. Are they going to be good with that? They're going to do everything that they can to get to the playoffs again next year. Why is that? Because we want more. We're made to want more. We know we have not arrived. It is, if it stresses you out that you should be further along, if, if you are in that place, if you are so overwhelmed with wanting to be more, you, want, you wish and think you should be further along, God offers a guaranteed better future and a better becoming. He guarantees that He'll do this in you. So what do you do? Keep moving forward. But, but relax. <laughs> I mean, in some ways, here's an, here's an offer. Rest. Right? Take one step at a time. Trust Him to work. We're on a very long journey. You don't have to rush to the end. He is at work. We are becoming. He is doing something in this life that will come to a greater fruition in some, in what comes next to make his children into something more than we can, than we can even imagine right now, more than we can even make for ourselves. He's doing something better than we can actually do for ourselves. Take a deep breath. Relax. We're on a long journey. With all this, John hammers home in the the bulk of this section that we read that um, we are to be different now. As children, we really start imaging and representing who our dad is. This is how John is bringing this to us. Those who are children who have his life in them, he says his seed, other places, he talks about his son or his spirit being with them. They live in a way that contrasts, you could even say contradicts the old life or the way of the world. It stands in contrast to what he names as sin. It is distinctly different. We are called to be a distinctly different people. He doesn't give specifics on what this sin is, but he does define it in verse 4 as lawlessness, okay? What is sin? He says lawlessness. All right, what is, what is the root of sin and lawlessness? Well, one way to think about it, here's one way to think about it, it's, it's self-rule. Like sin is living out of what we might call our dark roots in this sense. Okay, so the beginning of the book of the Bible in Genesis, we have a story of God making all things. Having made all things, he, he made this place that's called Eden. It's, it's where God and man are dwelling in relationship, and he wants that to spread throughout all the universe. Okay? In that place, he puts a couple of trees. He puts the tree of life, and he puts a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? And what does he say about the tree of the knowledge and good and evil? He says, that's not for you. Right? He doesn't give any reason. He just says, don't do it. If you do it, you're going to die. Tempter comes along. 
And the tempter says, hey, hey, I heard you can't eat any of the trees. And the, the lady says, no, 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 we can eat. We just can't eat of the, of the one. He says, if we eat of it, we're going to die. And he's like, come on. Really? You're not, you're not going to die. This is the headwaters of so much of the biblical story and the human story. And there's so many ways to look at this. This does so much for how we understand what the world is about and the problems of the world. But here is the temptation. From the one who has been sinning from the beginning, that's how John talks about it, from the one who's been sinning from the beginning, this this serpent, what is the temptation? The temptation is this. The way of life is lawlessness. The way of life is autonomy. Rather than trusting in the one who made you, the temptation is don't let God and others tell you what to do. Don't learn wisdom and right and wrong in relationship with God. Go grab the fruit for yourself. Take it for yourself. Take it yourself. It's, it, if, it, if it looks good, if you discern it's good for you, take it, do it. Define life on your own terms, your own truth. He says, he says so go do that. You can do that. And the unforeseen twist in what John calls the lawless way is that the self-rule seems to lead to enslavement. It actually seems to lead to darkness and dissatisfaction. Seems to me, I mean, and and it has in my life, and I've watched it in others, it leads to harm for myself and those closest to me. Live for yourself do what seems right in your own eyes, what does that do to your relationships? What does it do to your family, to your spouse, to your kids? What does it do to your coworkers, to your employer or your employees? What does it do to your community? Right? Often or maybe even inevitably, it creates division, it creates harm, it creates unrest, unhealth, It creates death, literally and metaphorically. This way that can cause so much harm is rooted in a disposition of rebellion. Don't tell me what to do. Do not tell me how to live my life. Could be argued that lawlessness at its heart is the idea of don't tread on what I want, Don't don't tread on what I think is best, my truth, my rights, my freedoms. Don't touch that. I'll determine for myself what is right and wrong, good and bad, based on what is pleasing to my eyes. And not that things being pleasing to your eyes is bad, right? That's That's not the point of this. Right? There's plenty of things that are actually pleasing to your eyes that are, that are good from him. But what is the source of, and dare I say, what is the authority or what is the ultimate character that you're relating to that gives substance and a foundation for discerning what is good and bad, discerning what is truly pleasing? And, and I do throw that out there. Where, what is your source? What is the relationship you have that is going to give you the resource for making these decisions? If it's just myself and my preferences, like, that can be incomplete. 
and unknowingly deceitful, in part because my self-oriented concern may not take into account your concerns. It may not take into account greater concerns of others in the world. And as much as part of me does not want to admit this, like, but I know it's true. It's not really that hard to admit this. I have a very limited perspective on reality, right? And I know you say, yes, of course you do, Joey. Do you see that for yourself? Can I really trust what is pleasing in my eyes and my palate to be the arbiter of what is good and bad? And I guess if that's all that we had, you know, that's, if that's all we had, we'd do the best we can, right? If that's really all that we had, we'd have to do the best that we can. The biblical story proposes a greater reality. And there is not just a personal designer and maker of all things, but a supremely good father who knows what's best. That's what this story tells us. Here's John's point. As a child of God, we are remade for a distinctly different kind of life, one that finds freedom through submission to a better lawgiver. Ironically, to let go of self-rule and trust the rule of one greater than self is the way of freedom. Like, I know it seems contradictory, but it's actually the way things work. It, it, it leads us into a different way of being that impacts the world. It actually impacts not just my own life, it impacts the world for good. Because his way and his character are fundamentally about loving one another and living in the world the way he designed for us to live. It's actually about doing good for ourselves and for the world around us. The way he calls righteous stands in contrast to the way of self-rule. It stands in contrast to self-salvation and self-preservation and self-gratification, which he also calls the way of sin. So living as children of God is a distinctly different life, but it's distinct in the way that Jesus is distinct. It's distinct in its love. And what does this distinction look like? Well, that's for another sermon, right? John doesn't get into that, okay? This is, this is what we need to keep processing and, and looking at and, and listening to from what the story tells us. But here's a great summation of it. What does that life look like? Jesus does a sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. This is in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. My encouragement, we go, go read that. What does this kind of life look like? What does the righteous life look like? It looks like that. Go and, I encourage you, go and read that. This is the way of his children. This is distinct from the religious way. It's not the religious way. It's distinct from the world's way. It's not the world's way. And it's honestly, it's distinct from my way. It's not my default way. It's another other worldly way. So, when I step back and I look at my life, what do I see? Look at how much I am like Jesus. You laugh. <laughs> Man, I step back and I'm thinking, uh, no, I see my sin. Wh what then? So am I out of the family? Or is, or is that, there you go, there's the indicator you were never a child of God in the first place. I mean, I've definitely played those mind games for myself. 
What do you do? What do you do? If you actually step back and you realize, but the, the righteous life, I, like if I'm supposed to be like Jesus. I'm not like him. Not in the way that I really want to be. Not in the way that I think I should be. What do you do? Here's the answer. Return. Or maybe turn for the first time. Children of God live in a paradox. Okay, a paradox is an apparent contradiction, not necessarily a contradiction. Okay, children of God live in a paradox. We are to be righteous as children. We are to embody the life and the love of the Son of God. We are to we are to do that. But the more we know Him and see Him, the more we realize how far we are from His kind of righteousness. There's a paradox. What do you do? What do you do? I'm supposed to be. This is what he wants for us. I look at my life and I'm not this. If, if you are hating the things that you do that are sin, if you're hating the things that are rebellion, that can actually, right, process this, think about this, that may actually be a sign of your new birth. If you're actually hating it, it might be a sign of your childness. That's actually a sign. So what do you do with that? Well, we must continually and consistently return to mercy. We're called to this this word that gets a bad rap, but it's super helpful, repentance. So there is a a prayer, maybe you guys have heard it. The, The general prayer has been around a long time. It was formed by the Anglican Church back in the 1600s. And there's a new Anglican denomination, it's called the Anglican Church in North America, and they've redone the Book of Common Prayer. So I don't know if some of you have heard of this, but in the Book of Common Prayer, there's a confession, and it goes like this, Almighty and merciful, most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from the ways, from your ways, like lost sheep. We've followed too much the devices and the desires of, of our own hearts. We've offended against your holy laws. We've left undone those things that we ought to have done, and we've not done those things which we ought not to have done. Did I say that right? We have left undone those things we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent according to your promises declared to your people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. If you're tired of your sin and what it does to you, if you're tired of your lawlessness, if you're tired of a fighting for your rightness and your righteousness and your rights, here is an invitation. Give up. Come to him if you would like. This is what it looks like to live as a child. It's what it looks like to become a child if you're not. What then? Then remember him. All right, How? How? Why say that from the passage? Or is God actually saying, like, is this the, really the way? Or is this just like a, a feel-good thing? Like, is a prayer like this just to make us feel better, as if, as if God's going to do something with our sin? It, well, he says, verse 2, he says, Beloved, we're, we're God's children now. 
And what we will be is not yet even appeared, but we will know when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And then everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And then he goes on, he talks about abiding in him. And those who see him and know him are like him. And then the seed of God is in him. He talks about all this. So what is it? See him, hope in him, know him, abide in him is how we are made wholly whole. What do you do? You remember So right now, remember him, look to him, for him, sit with him in light of him and his story to us. Yes, the result of living as God's children who are loved and becoming is that we are different. We do start looking different. We do start smelling different. We do start loving differently. We live out this rightness. This is true. But this righteous life is a result because he, he says in verse 15, it's evidence, it's evidence that we are born of him. It is not the cause of our birth. Big difference. Don't go and do the right things in order to make God love you and become his child. He says it doesn't work that way. You can't be born again, and then I will produce the fruit in you. Our actual lives do look different, but the way he says that happens is seeing him It's hoping in Him. It's abiding in Him. It's returning to Him. It's remembering Him that does something to us. And who is He to whom we are to return? Who is it that we are to remember? He is the one who has appeared and who will appear again. It is Jesus the Christ. This is who you're to return to, who who we are to look at. He is the one who makes all of this stuff He's the one that makes the, the love and the becoming and the distinctiveness even possible. Because it says in verses 5 and 6, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus showed up for what purpose? He appeared to, to do something. He appeared to accomplish something. What? To take away sin and to destroy the works of darkness. This is what he came for. How did he do this? He did it by taking on sin and all of its consequences. He he did it by being pummeled by the powers of darkness, by taking on its painful, lawless, self-serving, hateful works. He does this during his life, and then it culminated in his trial and ultimately at his execution. He, He did it by by taking on the sin and then destroying the works of darkness and hate. How did he do that? By literally overcoming the worst work of darkness. What's the worst work that darkness can do? Death. It's the worst that he could do. Jesus overcomes that. In his resurrection, he destroyed destruction. He undid the undoing of creation. He set in motion a new countdown clock that will lead to a new creation. He is righteous, he is lawfulness, and he is forgiveness, and he is love. This is the one to whom we are to return. This is the one we are to remember. Because when we, when we run back, we get washed again, we're more humbled and we're more motivated to live the different kind of life. There's the power for living the different kind of life. Yes, we will grow in obedience, that, that makes us distinct and, and humbly different, that, that, that marks us by love for each other, that spreads into the world and onto others, bringing light 
the light of love and this reality of a new creation to a dark world, to a dark, dying world. We do get to be that into the, into the world. But even more so, or equally so, when we do this, we can be humbled and motivated to just be His child. Just enjoy being His child, of belonging and being known. Just come and enjoy eating with Him. You don't have to do anything to make Him love you. He wants you to come and just be loved, and then He'll do the work in you. So, Father, as we listen to this, um, please show us Your love, that You are indeed a good Father, You, Lord Jesus, are the perfect embodiment of what that good Father is, what love really is. You've done for us what we can't do for ourselves. You've come to restore us, to pour your love into us so that we can rest in that love and be changed by your love and then therefore go out and be different kind of people for the sake of your love. So please, Lord, continue to draw us to yourself, call us to yourself, and transform us by yourself. We ask this all in your name. Amen.